morning. Well, I have learned since the eight o'clock service, it's been so long since I've preached that I now need something that I did not need to preach a sermon the last time I did it. So for my, my sons see me later, they're not asking why I stood five feet back from the, my notes. Um, you know, it's good to be with you here, here this morning. So um, I wanna start with a story. There once was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. This is the way that C.S. Lewis starts the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, in his series of Chronicles of Narnia. Um, probably shouldn't start with my last page of notes first there. Sorry about that. Um, so anyway, yeah, so the opening line for the book, um, it doesn't take Eustace, this character in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, to, to determine just who this kid is. Lewis goes on to write, he says, I can't tell you how his friends spoke with him, for he had none. And while uh, there's not enough time for all of his story, essentially what happens is that after arriving in Narnia, Eustace alienates himself from everyone. He stands with righteous indignation at anyone who doesn't see things the same way he sees them and agree with him on the uh, points in, in his perspective. And so on an island in one of their adventures where they stop, he leaves everyone and he goes off on his own. He deserts the group of people that he's with and he finds a cave. And in this cave, he settles in and takes a nap to wait out a rain. But when he awakes, he finds that he's become a dragon. And so while he didn't intend to, Eustace came trapped and became trapped inside this dragon body. He became trapped in a monster that had become his life. Upon realizing what he'd become, he recognized that this is not what he wanted. And he arrived at the understanding he did not want to be a dragon anymore, but imprisoned by his own self-interest and greed and resentment as he tried to dig his claws in to remove the scales. He could remove some of them, but he realized he couldn't undragon himself. And this is where he meets Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure in the, the series. And Aslan says to him, you'll have to let me do it. And so Eustace goes to Aslan. Aslan tears through the scales and dips him in a nearby water. And sure enough, Eustace was a boy again. Eustace would go on to tell the story about how much it hurt and having the lion undragon him was painful, but simultaneously, how good it felt to be a boy again, how good it felt to be restored to who he was meant to be. That chapter of the book ends that while Eustace would still have his bad days, he was for the most part a new person and that after meeting Aslan, the cure had begun. Now, maybe this is just a story about Eustace, the annoying, selfish, entitled brat, or maybe it's a little bit about us. I know I can certainly identify with it, knowing my potential to get consumed and caught up in my own rights, my own interests, um, my own preferences, to look out for myself above all else. And the reality is, in the pursuit of my own preferences and luxuries and securities, I become a dragon of my own making. And I'm drawn to this story. And maybe you'd say the same, maybe you've experienced a moment in your life where you've reached out to God, asking God to do only what he can do because you've found that you've become something and you don't want to be that anymore. We can pick at the scales ourselves, but only Jesus can undragon us and make us new again. 
And I understand that this invitation of faith and to follow Christ, I understand the reluctant convert who looks at it and says, no thanks, it's too much sacrifice, it's too much that you're asking, I don't know if I can trust, and trust that. I do understand, but on this side of having made that decision, I can tell you that of having decided to follow Christ that I believe with my whole heart that the cost of following Jesus is worth it. I believe that as Galatians 2.20 says, for I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved and gave himself for me. I know what it's like to go from meaning where those are just a string and a collection of words to feeling and experiencing the profound reality of having Jesus live in you. Even if every scale that needs ripped away brings pain, God will not take anything from us that he does not intend to restore into something new and something more beautiful than we could possibly imagine. But being undragoned, it does come with a cost. It involves pain and sacrifice, but it is the way to abundant life. In this final uh, morning in our series of diving in, as we've been looking at what it, the approach to scripture and how we approach the Bible, how, the, how to read it and how the Bible works, um, we've looked at different practices on approaching and studying and, and Sean and others have shared great insight on what to do even before we approach scripture to interpret and understand. But as we're gonna look at this morning, understanding is not enough. And without what we're talking about today, there's a danger to insight and understanding and belief alone. I mean, think about this. If belief was enough to make a difference, if belief was all we needed to make a difference, how lives, how different our, our human lives would be, right? Think about if in the realm of like health and nutrition, if all you had to do was believe what the science said about just healthy diet and active lifestyle, and if you just believed it and you would immediately reap all of the benefits of that healthy diet and lifestyle, imagine how different our lives would be. In the realm of like addictions, things that break and tear down life and relationships um, and, and things like that. Just think if knowing was the only part of the battle you had to do and immediately you could, be, you could just break free of the grip of addiction by simply believing that it was the right thing to do. In our financial lives, imagine what it would be like if all you had to do was believe this, the basic financial principles like generous living, discipline, things like saving, spending less that you make, you just had to believe it and you would find yourself financially secure and sound just because you believed that that was true. Maybe there's some students in here and all you, if, if, what if you just had to believe that preparation, that that, that was the way forward, that simply just being disciplined to study, get your work done, organize your calendar and you just had to believe it and voila, perfect outcome, grades, graduation degree, all of it. I can't imagine if just believing that, I probably wouldn't have had to squeeze my four-year degree into five years. This message in the Diving In series is gonna focus on application, moving beyond belief, integrating scripture into our daily lives because application is everything. We must become not just hearers of the word, as James, the brother Jesus says, but become doers of the word because James goes on to warn that to simply believe but not put scripture into action is to deceive ourselves. It's about a relationship with scripture that's integrated, not segregated. From both within and without scripture, we see a compelling reason why we can't neglect this. There is a danger. Jesus, on multiple uh, interactions and occasions, he addresses this idea with those who had, in his day, had the epitome of a segregated life with scripture. In, in many cases, the Pharisees. 
These were the teachers of the law. They knew scripture inside and out. And yet on occasions, Jesus calls them things like sons of hell. And he says that because of their neglect of matters of justice and mercy, they're outworking in this segregated relationship they had with their knowledge and and their notoriety for being able to teach about God, yet create a religious system that kept people from God. They could preach about God, but yet make converts to dead religion. A modern way of of, of saying it um, is this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, it it was Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. The Bible read in the right spirit with the guidance of good teachers will bring us to him. We must not use the Bible as a sort of encyclopedia out of which texts can be taken for use as weapons. And he's referring to here, like in the beginning of the gospel of John, where it says, in the beginning was God and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word of God. The Bible is a unified story that should point us to Jesus. And unfortunately, we don't need to look far today to see where an approach of scripture can be about beliefs. And in our context today, sometimes it can look a little bit more like a politicized culture war than the cross-shaped, self-sacrificing, loving call to follow Jesus. So the goal of moving beyond belief, we're gonna focus on an end in mind approach to the gospel where we're pursuing application. And as we consider the end in mind, being clear on the goal or outcome that we want to accomplish, I wanna ask you this, have you ever experienced the opposite? Have you ever had a moment where you experienced something and it was not quite the end that you had in mind or what you set out for? I was dating a girl in college, and mind you, this was Bible college, so for probably most of you, this will require a little bit of context, but in Bible college, a thing that happened was the home church of the student would often send, have a person or a group of people at the church that would send their students uh, care packages. And so it wasn't uncommon to have like maybe a group of little old ladies or youth coaches or someone in the church who wanted to send the youth kids from their youth group who had gone in to pursue some form of ministry degree, care packages, and I went to a church it was very much about the size of Sherwood Oaks on the south side of Indy. And we had a group of people who did this. And so it was amazing. You go open your mailbox, you get a little slip of piece of paper, take it to get the, at the post desk, you get your package full of goodies and candies and encouragement notes. I mean, how great were care packages. And so, but my girlfriend that I was dating, she was from a really small church and they didn't necessarily have one of these ministries. And she was like a big gifts that was just like a strong love language. And so she would always look at other people getting their packages and be a little bit sad that she never got to experience that. Now, so I wanna share a parallel story here, same timeline. Um, I'm, while I'm working, or as a student um, in, in Cincinnati, I worked for a company called PC Upgrades. This is 1996, so this is like right on the edge, like we're internet and like personal computing is like taking off, right? So um, most people, I would find myself uh, working in a parts department where my job was an order would come in for a computer, like this is before Geek Squad, right? So stores like PC Upgrades exist, you couldn't just go to the big department stores and just buy computers. You'd have to go someplace. And so I'd pull these parts together, hand them to a technician, they would build it. One thing I had in 1996 though, was a high-speed internet connection. So in between filling these boxes and handing them technicians, I sat with nothing to do at the internet. Now, I know that sounds crazy because like you've probably already done this four times this morning, like looked at your phone or something and had the internet right there and available, but this was a new reality. I'm talking Windows 95 and GeoCities and just things that, I, it just, it was amazing. The world um, was opening up. And one of the things that all of these stores would do and companies would do as they were getting on the internet 
you could order free samples from just about anywhere because people were trying to get their products out there, their web presence known, and it was like nothing required. You didn't have to give them a credit card, a phone number, anything. And so I, I wasn't not going to just order random samples of weird things and send them to my friends that had no explanation so when they arrived. So I would do that regularly, and I thought that was funny. On one occasion, I ordered a box of shag carpet samples because... I thought that'd be hilarious for one of my friends to get that. And so I would do this from time to time on different, different occasions. And so I'm setting this up, and maybe you already see where this is going. Um, so, but please understand, I was just drunk on the power of the internet and all of the endless possibilities. And so it's Valentine's Day, and I'm with my girlfriend, and we happen to be at President's Hall. We're going by. We get both slips of paper in our mailboxes. And so for some reason, Valentine's Day was a big time when churches and the, the groups would send care packages to their kids at Bible college. And so I get my, my care package and it's full of goodies and everything. And I sit down with my wife and she's opening up a package. Someone finally got her something. Well, she opens it up and she pulls out the first one by two foot square of carpet. <laughs> and we're both so confused. This is months after I had ordered it, my free samples. I didn't know it was happening until I did. And I realized in the moment, and I see the confusion on her face as the reality is washing over me. And she's like, oh, and the, there's more things in the box. And she's like wondering, she starts to look like, well, what else is in this box? By now, I know what else is in that box. It's just more free carpet samples. And so sure enough, she pulls out the other carpet samples and um, I finally, after figuring out, explained to her, I'm pretty sure I know what this is and why this happened to you. And um, it was, she was very sweet and she laughed through like a little bit of tears, um, like because she was trying to be a good sport about it. And I won't give you the whole like redeeming story, but we're married and it worked out okay. So anyway, um, so certainly, I mean, that, maybe that was an end in mind, but the, the actual event itself was not what I had in mind when I was ordering free samples for my friends. Um, but the, uh, so anyway, the, the point is, um, <laughs> sorry, we, we have these moments, right, where we start out with the end in mind and we maybe, right, we, we step into something with intentions, um, but we don't have, uh, have it exactly thought through in the best of ways. So, um, the, po the point is that would Jesus address this, right? In his famous teaching, um, the, the Sermon on the Mount, he actually addressed this idea, end in mind. So he, the, Jesus had a collection of teachings that he would go around. And so Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount and Luke records the Sermon on the Plain. And as an itinerant preacher, often Jesus would go around and it's believed that in many of the places where he was teaching and introducing the kingdom of heaven, this new way of, of living, he was introducing something that many have referred to as the upside down uh, kingdom of God. And it's, it's where this way of living and being to follow Jesus in the kingdom of God invites his audience to consider this radical alternative to the kings and kingdoms that they were familiar with. Rather than to hate our enemies, right, we're called to forgive, love, and pray for them. Rather than power being for those to secure more power for themselves, it's for serving the powerless, that wealth is not something to be stored up for ourselves, but leveraged to help those in need. In the context of being occupied by the Romans, Jesus would say things that were radically different, like, don't worry. 
when there was plenty to look around and worry about. He cautioned against things like judgment, suggesting that confronting other people about their sin should only come after the radical, difficult work of removing and doing the heavy lifting of removing the plank in your own eye. And maybe then, and even in that process, you will become the kind of person who's able to see clearly and help your brother or sister remove the speck from their own eye. If someone treats you with evil, you don't respond with evil, but respond with good. If someone asks you to carry their pack, you go the extra mile. And so these are the radical different ways as Jesus would come and teach and the crowds would build to hear him, him teach this radical new way of living. And it's predominantly about putting others first. The ethic of Jesus and his teaching is always cross-shaped. It's self-sacrificing and it's loving and submitting to one another out of reverence for him. Jesus was inviting us then, as he invites us today, to a radically new way of living. And it's so radical, there's no wonder we're inclined to dumb faith down and just, just let it be about believing. I'd much rather just hear Jesus, if Jesus is going to say that, hey, Jeremy, before you come to worship, if you have something against your brother or sister, go and be reconciled to them first. Don't come and worship me and bring your gift to the altar. Go be reconciled for them first. I can think and think, wow, that's, that's really profound. That's, that's good, Jesus. I believe that that's true. It's a whole different thing to do the difficult work to go to the brother or sister and be reconciled, isn't it? I have to ask, will I put into practice what Jesus tells me? And so in these long collections of teachings in Matthew and in Luke, Jesus would end these, this collection of sermons um, with this, and you're probably familiar with this, in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24, he says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. He doesn't say to the men and women listening, whoever hears and believes, but he says, after all these teachings, who hears and puts these, these words of mine and puts them into practice. And then the alternative that he follows up, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind, winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. It is possible to hear these words of mine, as Jesus says. We can hear them week after week. We can come into to this room and listen week in and week out. We can commit the words to memory. We can do a lot. But those who hear his words and teachings and don't put them into practice, it's like a fool. In the house, it falls with a great crash. In my student ministry years, I would often cycle through um, a, a teaching series um, on wise choices. And I had first heard Andy Stanley uh, teach it years and years ago through some student ministry um, curriculum. And essentially it, it was focused on a Proverbs, a text in Proverbs that says this, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it, right? The prudent, the wise, they see danger and they take refuge, but the simple, the fool, they see the danger they just keep going and they suffer for it. And it was connected to um, this, this phrase he had in, in this teaching series um, called, that said, direction, not intention, determines destination. So your direction in life, not the things you intend, determine your destination. And so we would teach this with students, right? Your intentions are all these great things that you wanna accomplish in school and relationships and life and career and everything. But it's your direction, not your intention, that's gonna determine your destination. It's the daily choices that we make. 
And essentially, we, all, we, have the, we can have the tendency uh, to approach our faith and to approach scripture with great intention about what we want for our lives. But if we're not careful, we can fool ourselves into believing that our intentions are enough, that our beliefs and convictions are, are enough. Essentially, we can hear truth, believe it, and then go and live our daily lives in such a way where we undermine our faith in what we believe and hold so dearly. So I don't know where this finds you this morning, but if you are at a place where in your belief you have something in your life that God is telling you to take a step towards and you've been avoiding it, would you consider for a moment what is at stake with that decision? Would you consider God who is perfect and loving and wants what is best for you, maybe asking you to take a step towards something or maybe it's taking a step away from something or someone? But consider for a fact that it's your loving heavenly father who's waiting to show his faithfulness to you on the other side of that decision. This is no promise of a particular outcome or result, but it's a step into the abundant life that is established when we build our lives on the way of Jesus and the hope that comes through his life, death, and resurrection. One practical step we can take in these difficult moments of decision and surrender is to take our focus, I think Quentin said it earlier, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Take the focus off the decision itself. Don't focus on what, but focus on who. Who is it that's asking you to surrender and make this step? What, who is the one that is asking you? And when we put our focus on Jesus, sometimes we can see things much more clearly. Scripture says, and Jesus says, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you really know who God is? Is God an angry God who's just out there waiting for you to slip up, waiting for you to mess up, waiting for the next gotcha, waiting to punish you for something? Or is God who Jesus says he is? Is he a loving, heavenly father? Is he the father who runs when he sees the prodigal coming home? Jesus said, if you've seen me, that you have seen the father. When faced with a difficult decision, wherever God is asking you to place your trust right now, Look beyond that decision itself and don't think only of what, but think of who. Who is waiting to show you his faithfulness on the other side of that decision? If you're at a crossroads with it, trusting your, whether it's your entire life and making the first, that, one to, that first time decision, that decision like to completely to be undragged, maybe that's a decision or maybe it's a particular thing and a step that God just has for you today. But consider who it is that's asking you. As we look ahead to the remainder of the, uh, the, the, as we look ahead to the next series, sorry, for the Core 52 series that we're gonna be doing, one of the things I'm so excited about in these 52 weeks in the scriptures that we're gonna focus on and the way the book, for some of you who already have the book, if you don't have it yet that we're gonna be going through, uh, those are available out in the Welcome Center or you can get them here in the church office uh, anytime Monday through Thursday this coming week. But one of the things in each weekly text as we, as it's, as we memorize it and as we focus on it and we teach it, there's a, every week there's an application. There's a practical way, there's a practical step of what we can do to put that text into some applied way in our life. So we're moving beyond belief, beyond reading, knowing, and, and believing the word, but actually in to applying it. Now, in a sermon like this, where there's so much emph emphasis on what we've talked about this morning, action, and it, certainly it can raise questions about, um, you know, is it... How do, how do works fit into this, right? How, am I earning my own salvation? Is it just about what I do? And, and I, 
and, and yes, as Ephesians 2 says, right, that our, our, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works so that none of us can boast. But I can, and I can't exactly lay out the exact way, you know, how God's work and our own responsibility in our lives all get perfectly parsed out in the kingdom life. But I believe that Jesus meant what he said and the two ways that we can respond to the kingdom of heaven that he came to introduce. I believe that there are two roads there's a broad road that's easy and it leads to destruction. And there is a narrow road that leads to life and there are a few who find it. And our heavenly father is inviting us to that road that leads to life. I believe what he said about knowing trees by their fruit. And even though he's particularly talking to prof about prophets and teachers in, in that text, the idea that um, the fruit of the spirit are tangible signs of those who have moved beyond belief into putting and trusting Jesus and practice what he said, the kingdom living. If love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are not increasingly evident in our lives, especially to those around us, not just to ourselves, like I think I'm doing pretty good on the scoreboard, but I mean to the people around us can't see evidence of that fruit in our life, Maybe we need to reflect on where we're putting our faith and is it, ask ourselves if we're stopping short in our faith and just settling for belief alone. I mentioned in the opening story about Eustace, not just because I enjoy the stories or whatever, but because that is my story too. And if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia or that series of books, and in the story, Aslan the Lion right, is, the, is the Christ figure. And there's the moment where he's introduced to the story in the first book where the kids who are in this land for the first time are finding out about who he is. And there's this awe and reverence around Aslan the lion. And one of the kids asks, he's a lion? Is he safe? And you maybe have heard this before, but the response is, he's a lion. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king. When we take, we set out to trust God, even if every scale needs ripped away and comes with pain, we need to remember who it is that we're trusting and that God is good. It may not feel safe to our own self-interest at the time, but God is good and he can be trusted. And that every single scale that, come, that is ripped away, God will, re and he intends to restore or renew it with something more beautiful than we could possibly imagine. In closing, is there a decision in your life this morning and you know what you should do, you believe it to be true, you know it's part of God's design for your life, but you've not yet taken that step and put it into practice. Is there something where your heavenly father is saying, yes, I know you believe, but I'm waiting for you to act. And whatever that step may be, I pray that this church will come alongside, encourage and help and support you in whatever way we can, that you have brothers and sisters in your life that will do that with you. We want to live in community with one another and we want to live in integrated relationship with scripture. Would you consider who, not just what it is you've been, you, God is asking you to do, but who it is that's asking? Will you stand and we'll pray and we'll close with this song. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, men and women in this room. Thank you for your work and activity in their life. Lord, I pray, God, as we seek to be better students of your word and, and understanding scripture, that you would, Father, just embolden us, give us confidence and faith in who you are, help us to see clearly in our decisions, Lord. And may we put into practice the way you call us to, knowing, Lord, that you call us to abundant life. In Jesus, your name I pray this, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. 
Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.